getting rid of my coffee. Good morning, everybody, <laughs> and welcome to another SACPA session on this fine and beautiful summer day. SACPA believes in SACPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the land of the Blackfoot people and Métis nations of Alberta, Region 3. And we pay respect to their past, present, and future cultural heritage, beliefs, and relationship to the land. SACPA commits to assist reconciliation efforts by raising awareness of the ways past and present injustices can be reconciled. SACPA uh, would like to thank or is very thankful for the continuing support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight and the Lethbridge Herald. Today we have uh, both Ken Rogers and Kelly Freewin with us on the topic of an educator's perspective on Alberta's proposed draft curriculum. Ken Rogers retired in 2018 from Lethbridge Collegiate Institute after a 32-year career in music teaching. He taught band, choir, guitar, and general music courses at middle, junior, and high school levels, as well as some elementary school music. He has taught at the post-secondary level, including music studio performance, choir, and music curriculum, and instruction courses at the U of L. He has been a key, he has a keen interest in music curriculum through his teaching career. In 2016, he was appointed as a member of the Alberta Education Art Curriculum Workgroup, focusing on grades nine to twelve music, and served until the group suspension in 2019. He holds a B uh, music and an B ed from the University of Lethbridge and a graduate diploma in fine arts from the UFC. Kelly Freewin, a Lethbridge educator for 20 years, received a B of fine arts in 1996 and an B of education in 2001 and received the gold medal from the University of Lethbridge. He taught grades five, six multi-age classroom for two years, then transferred to Wilson Middle School, where he taught drama plus academic classes. In 2007, Kelly moved to the Lethbridge Collegiate Institute to teach the drama program. Kelly joined the Provincial Curriculum Work Group in 2016, consulting with Alberta Education on the new curriculum. I wanna thank you both for coming. Um, I realize I don't have your names on the screen. So Ken, wave to me. Ken, give us a wave. There you go. Yeah. And then Kelly uh, is in the blue shirt, blue checkered shirt. Okay, just to introduce everybody on the screen so we know who's who. And uh, we both look, uh, we very much look forward to your talk. Thank you. Thank you, Annalise. Uh, Kelly and I decided I'll, I'll start. Yeah, my name is Ken. And uh, thank you, Annalise, for helping us through all the technology, and thank you to SACPA for this opportunity. I, I want to begin by saying I, I speak only for myself today. <clears throat> I am not representing any organizations or institutions. And I'd like to begin with a little background. I consider myself a curriculum nerd, as I know Kelly does as well. And uh, curriculum is not the, the kind of thing you know you read for fun. And even more so, it's not the kind of thing you write for fun. It takes a lot of work and a lot of research. 
But nevertheless, I'm proud of being a curriculum nerd and have been. I, I was very lucky to have a wonderful music ed professor at the University of Lethbridge in the mid-80s, who was very influential at that time in writing the, the new curriculum that was about to be come out in uh, 1988 when I was a young teacher. And she made sure we knew and understand understood this curriculum that was about to come out. We didn't learn just what was to be in it, but also why it was there and how it was intended to be navigated. And I have to say that was a pretty exciting proposition at that time as the previous music curriculum in the early 1980s was just several pages of what nowadays we'd call front matter. Uh, there was nothing concrete or detailed for any educational outcomes. So music teachers were really on their own prior to this uh, mid-80s curriculum and it was a huge shift for music education in Alberta. Uh, this new curriculum was optional in my first year of teaching in 1986 and I was still using that curriculum when I retired after 32 years, hence the need for some updating of a curriculum. There have been uh, two unsuccessful attempts at a new music curriculum in the last 15 years, but as I said, all schools are still using the one that was, was released in the mid-1980s, and so we are very much in need of an update. Um, I, uh, I was asked for this session if I'd speak a little bit about uh, our experiences on the expert working group. So I'll do that now. Uh, Kelly and I applied for that. We both taught at Lethbridge Collegiate. We're both arts teachers, and we were very interested, very passionate, as I said, nerds. So we applied and were accepted as members of the working groups that were planned to run uh, from 2016 to 2022, a six-year project, developing a comprehensive K-12 to curriculum for all subjects uh, except CTS, some of the optional subjects. But uh, unfortunately, we were dissolved in 2019 following the provincial election. I'll ask Annalise to go to my slide number one. And slide number one uh, just shows a little bit of info about what a concept-based curriculum is. And the idea of devising a concept-based curriculum for Alberta, the history of that, um, it arose from a governmental desire for a comprehensive 21st century curriculum uh, that was guided largely by a document called 2010 Inspiring Education Initiative under the PC Education Minister Hancock. And this document and this initiative stressed the engaged thinker and the engaged learner. And that's, uh, you can imagine that is probably one of the most important words in education besides a student being safe is that they are engaged. Um, this was, uh, and you can hold this slide just for a moment, Annalise, so people can have a chance to look. This uh, was followed in 2013 by a ministerial order under PC Education Minister Johnson, which continued this stress of the engaged learner. Um, all of this is quite unlike the knowledge-based 2020 draft that was released uh, by the UCP Minister of <coughs> Range. Um, so uh, what we were working under uh, from 26 to 2019 was clearly guided by these two frameworks that were based on eight competencies 
on which we spent much time in our expert working groups with research and reflection. We spent a lot of time before we even started looking at specific subject or grade work. So the eight competencies uh, that continue through both of these documents, and we can go to the second slide now. Thank you. The second slide is from a 2013 document under that second initiative uh, under the ministerial order. So they are critical thinking, communication, problem solving, collaboration, managing information, which I note is knowledge. <laughs> and you may have heard that about the current uh, proposed curriculum, cultural and global citizenship, creativity and innovation and personal growth and well-being. Uh, I'll ask Annalise to leave that slide up a for a moment while I speak about a little bit about the process while we were up there in Edmonton working. There were over 300 educators involved in our process and they came from all levels and all locales. They were mostly teachers, but there was also faculty from some post-secondary institutions. There were some division administrators uh, who's, who were involved in curriculum in their school divisions, and even some members from outside Alberta. As some of you know, there are outside jurisdictions that pay for and use Alberta's curriculum currently, including Northwest Territories. We had uh, First Nations and Francophone members uh, in all teams, and we worked in four main arts groups that we focused on music, visual arts, drama, and dance. And uh, we often worked in three main grade groupings. There was a K to four group, a grade five to eight group, and a grade nine to 12 group. We met five or six times a year in Edmonton, usually for three days at a time, occasionally two. So you can imagine it was a real commitment as full-time teachers to plan and prepare for that much time away from our classrooms regularly. And then we also met once a year in July or August. It was ex extremely challenging work, but it was also very rewarding and required a lot of commitment. Um, it was stressed to us that it was an iterative, iterative process, and I have to be honest, I had to look that word up at the first meeting. <laughs> it simply means to revisit. So yes, we revisited our work regularly at our sessions every couple months, and we did our own research and our own reflection between sessions as it progressed. And Kelly, I'm sure, will also note it became clear as we worked in these groups that we were not writing the curriculum. Um, that is purely the job of Alberta education. But uh, nevertheless, we could see our work as a group uh, in the various drafts as the process unfolded. Uh, I think we could turn that slide off, Annalise. So a couple phrases that stood out in our work, at least in our arts group, and there were about 70 of us in the arts group, uh, about 15 or 20 music people. Uh, one phrase was, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, which reassured us all that, you know, we we felt like we knew what uh, should be done in our subjects, and they acknowledged that. And then another phrase was, uh, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. So, in other words, we were encouraged to use our own experience and our research to guide us in suggesting what to retain in the curriculum that we know already works. So there was no push to throw anything out. The goal was just to update for the 21st century. And as much as I can recall, uh, there was no politicized ideological pressure either on us as working groups or from anyone within the working groups. 
Uh, in fact, to the contrary, we were advised in the earlier sessions that if we had come in order to promote our own uh, curricular agenda, that we, we might want to rethink our participation. You know, it was simply uh, too big of a group and it was too big of a process for any one of us to grind our own curriculum acts or even to push our own political stripe. Yeah, I have to be honest, in my view, the whole process was very non-politicized, regardless of what one may read in recent reports. Um, to continue with what uh, our sessions were like, we were provided with uh, endless digital links to research, and we had tables literally full of copies from uh, the most recent arts curriculum uh, research from around the world and resources, and we used these resources uh, daily. And then also we're allowed to take them to do our own research between sessions. So the goal was clearly to create something uh, truly word class. Our initial sessions were very global. We set parameters, we set common language, uh, architecture and the goals for K to 12, all subjects overall. Um, uh, but some subsequent sessions in, in years in two and three were with the K to grade four team only as they worked on the real nuts and bolts and details of those grades to preparing for the 2018 release of the K to four draft, which was released. Um, the grade five, eight, eight and grade nine to 12 team members, we, we would rejoin uh, on occasion to, for review and refinement sessions so that we could comment on what we saw in the K-4 curriculum and how that may impact moving through the years up to the grades we were uh, um, sort of brought on for. And of course, if the project had seen its full six years, we would have had our own focused sessions for our grade groups. Uh, I also want to note that part of the design of the sessions included uh, several meetings with uh, all K-4 subjects together, seeing how things were working cross-curricular within that grade grouping, and the 5-8 to eight teams would meet all subjects together for reviews, the 9-12 to 12 teams would meet. And then we also had several sessions where we had all grades within one subject area meeting. So I bring that up just to note it was a thorough process uh, where we had a chance to look at continuity, uh, scope and sequence, both across subjects and also within our subjects across grades. I also want to note while Alberta Education was authorized, they were only authorized to release official information on the curriculum development as we worked, we were encouraged to discuss the developments and curricular ideas with colleagues in our home districts. And I took advantage of that. I met several times with local elementary music teachers one-on-one -on -one to get their feedback on what was being done in the K-4 work for music, even though I wasn't specifically on that team. So, in my opinion, uh, the work we did from 26 to 2019 was in every way a more thorough, collaborative and non-politicized process uh, compared to the 2020 draft process that I have seen released and described in the media. It had an appointed 12-member, uh, the, the 2020 draft, and an appointed 12-member advisory council. And you may have heard in media that uh, teacher involvement consisted of two days of review online just last September, 
Um, and those teachers uh, are not allowed to speak about that. They had to sign an NDA, so that is hardly transparent. Whereas the uh, 2018 draft was created over three years just for four grades with input from hundreds of educators, and uh, also it was reviewed very openly by over 100,000 Albertans. And that is the K-4 draft that has been thrown out. Um, so I met with my Lethbridge uh, East MLA two months ago and uh, uh, at, a, at a group meeting on curriculum. It was a constituency meeting. And then uh, we followed up with a private meeting last month in May at, uh, at his invitation. So during that meeting, I asked him to really consider the difference in those numbers uh, in the recent in the recent UCP draft, uh, basically the equivalent of 200 uh, teacher days of review in a draft over six grades created by 12 appointed advisors, and compare that to uh, over 5,000 teacher days of input from 26 to 2019 for four grades, and uh, and the review over three years leading to that draft, and I. I, I said to him at that time, I can't stress enough, to me, the difference in quality shows. It's glaring. The current draft, in my opinion, is simply too flawed to be edited or fixed, and I feel nothing short of a restart can address the problems. If we can go to slide three, Annalise. Uh, in April, I responded to the government survey about the curriculum for feedback. Um, it's not a good survey, it sort of limits your responses, but I let go in the comments. Uh, the more I looked at the grade six curriculum, which is the subject and grade I chose to comment on in the survey, you have to choose one subject and one grade, I just got hotter and hotter, so if, if you can see some of those comments and it, and it sounds a, a little hot, yes, I got hot. So I shared this with my uh, MLA at our private meeting. He had expressed interest in seeing that following the constituent meeting. And I really stressed to him in our private meeting that none of these errors and none of these misguided outcomes, in, I think, would have found their way into the curriculum we were working on 2619. There were simply too many experienced educators there, and we were reviewing every sentence, every detail, multiple times. We could probably go to the second of those slides, Annalise. Um, I just put that up to, to show that uh, I, I did do my due diligence, and I did the government survey as requested, and maybe I said more than they wanted to hear. It, it's absurd. So Annalise, you can close those off at any time. The next thing I brought up with my uh, MLA was I asked if he knew anything about an equivalent to the CDA, Curriculum Development Application, that was being developed from 26 to 19. I asked if, he, if there was a, an equivalent in the 2020 curriculum. And he had let me know in the group constituent meeting that he was not aware of anything like that but was interested. So we had our follow-up meeting. So I explained to him that from 26 to 2019, uh, Alberta Education had a team of IT specialists at the back of every room. And again, 300 people working in, in big subject groups and IT specialists in every one of those rooms. Uh, at first, I thought they were just there to help us get on Wi-Fi, like Annalise <laughs> helped us today. But uh, eventually we worked, that what they were doing was they were working in real time alongside us 
developing this huge application that, that was intended to connect curricular outcomes across all grades, across all subjects, and, and connect those concepts uh, for teachers. It, it, it is the most exciting thing that happened up there, in my opinion. It was a real game changer to have this concept-based curriculum all connected with this 21st century uh, technology tool. Um, we, as expert working group members, we had opportunities for direct input into this development of the CTA. We could get up at any point and walk to their table and make suggestions, and we, we could see those suggestions being enacted. It was, it was really powerful. So the plan was uh, to have it include links to all the resources and text that will eventually follow a, a new pilot curriculum. And above that, it was going to include teacher-developed resources and lesson plans, which could be shared across every teacher in this province. And actually, I just got goosebumps right now thinking how incredible that would be to see a tool like that. And as far as I can tell, in my research, there is nothing that the current government plans to release in that way, and my MLA has not advised me otherwise yet. Annalise, if we could go to slide four. Um, if anyone would like even more information on academic analyses of the 2020 draft, there are dozens at this website, and it's dedicated to nonpartisan analyses. Uh, uh, Authors include curriculum experts from across uh, the uh, Alberta and beyond, including from the University of Lethbridge, very noted uh, professors and researchers. Of uh, real note is a 174-page review by Edmonton Catholic School Districts, which concluded, I quote, conditions have not been met for a quality piloting process. Uh, that in, uh, in review by Edmonton Catholic was created by over 100 teachers, administrators, and consultants from their division. They broke into eight subject areas, seven grade level groups from K to six. They had an equity and diversity contributor. They had an inclusive education contributor. To me, absolutely more thorough and transparent than the two-day teacher re review that the UCP had last December. Uh, the Lethbridge School Division reviewed it and concluded, and I quote, Alberta has been renowned for a world-class curriculum. The Board of Trustees does not believe it would be ethical or responsible to have our teachers and students navigate the proposed draft curriculum that has an abundance of content that is not age-appropriate, age fails to adequately address diversity, fails to further learning, contemporary learning competencies, and lacks coherence and integration of ideas. Last time I checked, 56 of the 61 school boards in Alberta indicated they will not be piloting this K-6 curriculum. Yet, recently our government has indicated in the media they are proceeding with the pilot this fall. I went on to express my displeasure with my MLA of much of the misleading and misinformation I am seeing in the media and asked him if he could uh, take that to the top and, and do something about that. And I'll close with, uh, I'm very concerned, even though I'm a high school teacher, I'm concerned about the K-6 to curriculum. Every elementary teacher I speak with and I stay in touch with lots of colleagues is terrified, is the word they use of this curriculum. They feel helpless. 
they're in tears, they're losing sleep, they don't know how they'll manage this draft if it becomes reality one day. Fortunately, they don't have to this September because uh, uh, Lethbridge will not pilot, nor Lethbridge Catholic, separate. So that what they're worried about is how to get through so much knowledge material, how to negotiate the age-inappropriate content, what their assessments will look like, what resources will look like, having no time to explore the interests of their students and their classes, uh, concern about student boredom, concern about lack of engagement, and most of all, what they say to me is, what effect will this draft have on the students who already struggle? I really thank you for this time to present, and I'll pass it off to my former colleague, Kelly Fruin. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it is an honor to be here, and uh, I, I appreciate being invited to come along with you, Ken, with this one. Um, again, I need to reiterate, these are my own uh, opinions, my own takes on it, and I am, I am not in a position to speak for uh, any other group for the ATA or, or uh, any of those um, uh, groups. So uh, I think I just want to reiterate what Ken said, being part of that uh, that expert working group or that curriculum working group, as we were called, uh, was an incredible process and there was so much work. And um, I think one of the words, as, as Ken was speaking, is um, we felt respected as professionals who were new our jobs who went into the classroom every day we are on the front line and we were respected and our opinions and our thoughts mattered. and I think that uh, what we're feeling right now is uh, educators who have been reading this draft uh, um, and from some of the comments I've heard from people who are involved in the other uh, in the last um, group last December or last um, you know, last fall I can't remember the specific date are, are feeling that they were disrespected, that they've somehow now been shot out of the process. Um, when you look and read about curriculum design, uh, research and, and designers talk about the fact that teachers are the frontline brick and mortar of what's going on in the classroom. So if we're not designing something that they go, yes, this reflects best teaching practice, this reflects what I see in my classroom, this reflects the students uh, and the grade level and the age level, then we've got a serious disconnect. Um, rather than talk about the, the experience, I think Ken really did wrap it up quite nicely. Some of the points of concerns that have come out in the media around this that really have, have stuck with me um, is one, uh, th there was talks about the fact that they needed to revamp this curriculum because it was too, uh, too based on discovery learning and that they needed to go to tried, true, and tested teaching methods that gave better outcomes in math and reading. That was from uh, the premier uh, at the beginning. Uh, I just want to point out that if you look at the 2018 PISA results for Alberta, uh, we rated third in the world in science, we rated third in the world in reading, and we rated eighth in the world in math. And I think this is uh, one of the reasons that um, we, we've seen the, the Alberta curriculum used in so many places actually around the world. When we're dealing with Canadian curriculum in other places, a lot of times they are using the Alberta curriculum. Were there flaws in the curriculum that we had before this? Yes. Yeah. Was it dated? Yes. Yeah. Uh, my drama curriculum came out and was implemented the year that I graduated high school. Um, and it's problems with that. So what are, what, the, the discovery learning, I think, scares a lot of people. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what we're talking about here. When we talk about curriculum design, usually we're talking about two different philosophies that we 
tend to see uh, worldwide. Uh, we talk about um, either an, an essentialism or a progressivism. And essentialism is uh, what they're talking about in terms of going back to tried and true teaching practices. And a lot of this has been uh, pushed uh, by um, uh, this um, core foundational knowledge uh, that is being uh, pushed forward and, and saying that this is the tried and true method. What this is is more of an essentialistic view, which basically moves to a very specific demonstration of outcomes. It's called behavioralism outcomes. The students will do this. Uh, it's a very outdated design. Um, it also goes back to a very prescriptive, you are going to do this project, you are going to do this uh, specific task, uh, which starts to take away uh, the ability for teachers to gauge what the kids need classroom and to uh, move into um, actual work that is going to be meaningful to them. It goes back to that whole idea of practice, the thrill and skill, and the idea that learners are passive receptacles of knowledge. Most curriculum developers and most curriculum textbooks at this point uh, do say that this is an outdated practice. This refers back to sort of the back to basics push that happened in the late 70s, early 80s, and the outcomes worldwide of, of the groups that did this were actually quite low. It caused a lot of problems. So what happens is we've moved more into a progressivism where basically we're, it's not about absorbing knowledge. Um, this core foundation knowledge says that students can't learn until they have all of this knowledge and all of these facts dumped into them, memorized and memorized, and then they can work with it. Uh, and most researchers um, are saying that is actually not the case. Uh, Wiggins uh, says that this approach does not develop deep understanding, which is key in, in moving forward, um, and that it's not education is not going to be just built into a head. So with progressivism, we're starting to say what we need to do is we need to actually take the content that needs to be learned and put them in real-world context that the students themselves can work with. So progressivism is not about the drill and skill, but about applying, about problem solving. When we start talking about scientific method, this is a progressivistic view. This is a view where there is an inquiry, where the students have questions, uh, and the, the original um, uh, curriculum that we were working on all was built on these guiding questions that the students and the teachers asked together and moved forward. Now, when we get into discovering learning, which is that, that key word that got thrown around and seemed to panic people, what we're talking about is an extreme form of progressivism actually moving out in some ways where basically uh, the students can guide their own learning and the teacher is there simply to facilitate and whatever the kids want to learn and whatever they want to discover, the teacher will then go ahead and help with. Um, I, I, I attribute it somewhat to some of the, the Montessori uh, programs or even the Summerhill program from back in the, in the 60s where students went in and learned what they want, when they wanted, how they wanted, and teachers were just there to provide uh, material. That is not what this curriculum was. And in fact, uh, we have a real problem with that one because that's learning by an accident. That's discovering the content by accident. <clears throat> and one of the things that we really made sure of is that we had rigor and that our content was very important. We already, we were taking what we taught in our classroom, looking at curricula from all around the world, current curricula, curriculum that was less than a year old in some cases, and see how are we looking at these understandings to build understanding. So basically, the curriculum that was being built is really 
a curriculum that was designed with current teaching practices. Right now, the current teaching practice is the understanding by design. It's the idea that we ask these big questions, that we have these four large world uh, understanding that we then go in and apply the content to as we are, as we are uh, questioning and delving in. And basically, we're teaching students to be researchers. We're teaching them to be critical. All of those 21st century skills, we actually had to write into our learning outcomes in the previous draft of the curriculum. Uh, as well as numeracy skills, as well as literacy skills. So every single outcome was very deeply thought out and it was progressivist in nature, not essentialist, which is what the new uh, knowledge core foundation is leading back towards. And uh, so when we get those words thrown around, it starts to cause problems. Second point is, I know I'm, I'm really low on time here, the fact that... Um, uh, one of the things that Minister Lagrange said uh, at the beginning is that she was going to create a cur curriculum that was not politically biased. Later on, she changed this a little bit by saying she was going to have a new curriculum that was going to be less biased. Uh, I am a current master's student, and I am a research-based student, so I'm doing research. And any researcher who goes into a situation where somebody says, I'm being non-biased, I think warning flags are going to go up. Education is a political system. There is no way that education can be unbiased or less biased. When we went into our group, the biases were very clear in that the, the guide that we were given had very clear principles. The principles were based on inclusion. The principles were based on pluralism. They were based on diverse views. They included First Nations, Métis, Inuit ways of knowing. They included our Alberta Francophone population that has been, again, almost written out. It was very clearly stated. We believe that education is for any and every student, regardless of background, regardless of diversity. So when I hear this, I worry about it. Uh, Dr. Ira Shaw states that no curriculum can be neutral. All forms of education are political because they enable or inhibit the questioning habits of students thus developing or disabling their critical relation to knowledge, schooling, and society. It further goes on to say that the contents included and excluded in a curriculum are political choices. Whose history and whose literature is taught and whose is ignored. And that takes me into going through and looking at this curriculum. This is not a curriculum for reconciliation. Hmm. We see what's going on in the world and Chris Champion, who's been hired to work with the curriculum, states and is on record as saying that First Nation perspectives in the school are a fad. That is scary to me. To me, that says we have a major issue. The minute that we are starting to exclude or starting to shut down voices, that is wrong. I cannot speak to the Indigenous uh, point of view. There are a lot of people that are doing it. And they are very concerned. I will say that uh, Audrey Poitras from the Métis Nation said our citizens are shocked and we are disheartened to see the input and collaboration reduced to nothing more than a side note in a draft that was presented to the public. When I look at the curriculum, it is filled with errors. It is not age appropriate. It is not appropriate. I have uh, in, in our current drama curriculum, sorry, in the grammar curriculum that was proposed, they have grade two students learning in depth about Greek theater and asking them to portray some of the Greek comedies and tragedies. I have problems with doing a lot of those types of things with my high school students. 
because of age appropriateness. So we're seeing a curriculum that has not been well thought out in terms of the age or the development of the students. It has become prescriptive, telling us what we are going to teach, uh, the different things we're going to use, which means that we're being limited by our choice of how we educate. And as teachers, that becomes a very serious problem, especially with the plurality uh, and diversity of the population in this province. And architecturally, the errors within it, if we start going down, we start to see that there are significant errors at all levels of that curriculum. Our previous curriculum invited the teachers as collaborators, not necessarily as equals. We were not writing, but we were collaborating. We were giving our input. And as we put that forward, we saw it back. Sometimes we disagreed, and there were some great heated uh, de debates and, and conversations throughout that process. But they were conversations, and we were heard. And sometimes the answer was, you know what, in this case, no, and there's justification. And we had to say, okay, other times, we put those voices through and they were heard and we saw them the next time we came back uh, a month later, two months later, in some cases, six months later, we looked at the curriculum and went, oh yeah, there it is. We saw that involvement in that. If you take teachers out of the curriculum process, if you discount their professional knowledge, then I have a real serious problem with um, thinking that we're going to have a curriculum that is actually going to meet the 21st century needs of our students. And as has been stated in the media, we are going back, we're taking steps backward 30 years, and we are going from something that was considered a world-class education to something that people are not going to touch. Thank you. Well, thank you both for this excellent presentation. It's amazing how much you both squeezed into half hour. Um, it was uh, well done. Um, We'll jump in right away with the first question, which comes from Knut Peterson. With so much opposition to the new curriculum, what could happen if teachers simply keep using the present curriculum after the planned implementation in 2022? Dot, 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 sort of collective protest. Um, good question. Uh, so at this point for the next year, uh, it doesn't need to be implemented by the districts that are choosing not to. Uh, the problem after that is that um, as a teacher, I cannot choose not to teach a curriculum that has therefore become approved. So if this curriculum becomes approved, if it does go forward and moves out of the test phase into the implementation stage, uh, as a teacher, as a school, as a district, we cannot just simply choose not to, to use that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know what the ATA has planned in terms of uh, responses to that uh, or collective action. Uh, I, I'm not even going to guess because that, uh, there's people who are paid a lot more than me to, to do those things and figure those things out. Um, but I will tell you that right now I have a curriculum that's way too old. And what I have to do is use my teaching practices to augment the curriculum to teach it in a way that is meaningful for the students. I think that what's going to happen is we're going to have teachers that are going to have to increase uh, their workload and have to work with a document that is uh, inappropriate and somehow find ways to implement them in a way that still somehow meets those outcomes but isn't, uh, in, I mean, professionalism, uh, we have a duty. 
professionally, we are bound by what we are told to teach. So uh, beyond that, I don't know. I don't know if there's any more there, Ken, that you want to add. I just uh, thanks, Kelly. I just I would add that uh, you know things have changed over over the years. Uh, you know, when when I went to school, I, I would have told you that the textbook I had on my desk was the curriculum. And I, I think some people don't understand that the textbook is a resource. You know, back in the day, we would plow through the textbook, and and that seemed to be the course. But uh, teachers have a massive lists of outcomes to meet, and you are required by law to meet those outcomes and you stray from the curriculum uh, at your own peril. There have been famous cases in Alberta of teachers straying from the curriculum. And uh, yeah, if if it becomes de facto in September 2022, I, oh, I, I shudder to think what's going to happen. Uh, I know uh, some people talk about uprooting their families and leaving the province. They feel so strongly about it. Some teachers talk about quitting. Um, it's regardless it's going to be a disaster if it happens because i don't know how teachers are going to meet what's in the the 2020 draft thanks the next question comes from ian hurdle the original review spent three different governments would you support a restart of the original pilot and process by original meaning the 2018 k-4 draft i um, Ian, could you class? Uh, Ian, could you clarify that for our our speakers, please? But I'm assuming so. Okay. Yeah. If so, it's it's sort of funny in my in my uh, in the group constituent meeting. Um, I had asked about that revisiting. I'd mentioned to my MLA that the 2018 K to four draft that was developed by hundreds of teachers and reviewed by over a hundred thousand Albertans. I noted that that had been removed from the Alberta Education website. You couldn't even go to look at it to compare it if you wanted. Um, I wasn't aware of that. As far as I know, it's still not on the website. But he did use the phrase, well, maybe maybe we could dust that off. I don't know where, where that goes. But uh, I would say at the very least, uh, oh, I also joked with him, I would love to get his uh, 12 appointed counselors along with the 300 plus teachers together for an in-person meeting and let's compare research. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, that's, uh, that was a little snotty of me, but uh, it, at the very least, I would hope that we can put these two documents up beside each other and have open uh, discussion, uh, research and input from educators and the public. Um, whether that happens or not, I don't know. So I'm wondering if that's the question. Uh, the idea of pulling the 2018 out and starting over under the current government, I don't see any hope of that. Kelly? Yeah, I, I'm, you know, with the amount of money and time that's been spent, and again, this curriculum process started uh, quite a number of years ago. So this is not an NDP or a PC uh, document. Right. This is a curriculum by Alberta education that has spanned governments. Do we need to go back to the starting board? I really don't think so because the research has been done in those times. The resources were gathered. The uh, work for starting that initial process uh, was done and was being accepted. So to go back to square one, I think is now uh, we're looking at a, a waste of money. I think that uh, Albertan, I, I don't want to speak for Albertans, but I know as an Albertan taxpayer, I would go, 
with all the money we've spent, you want to start over again. I don't think we need to start over. I think we need to go back to where we left off, to where we had, in my opinion, good bones. Okay. Um, and Ian Hurdle basically responded with yes. So, yeah. yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> good guess. Yeah. Um, Henning Mundell's question. Do you think that the pilot this coming school year has any chance of success, i.e. lead to full implementation without major, major modifications? One of the... Here's my concern. Um, I, I, you can correct me, Ken. I think there's six school districts in the entire province that uh, said that they are going to, or sorry, divisions that are going to pilot it. Is that correct? Last I read and heard five. Okay. Five. Okay. So here's, here's the main concern mm -hmm. as they're going to push forward. What we have been told uh, from Alberta Education is that if we are not piloting the draft curriculum, we are not allowed to put input into it beyond the survey that was open to the public. Correct. So basically, what we've been told is that if you want input, you have to pilot the curriculum. As we've seen, almost every district in the province is saying this is not a curriculum that can even be piloted. There are so much issues. Uh, I know that our superintendent has offered their suggestions back to the Alberta education to say, hey, this is this is what you need to look at. But what's happened is we've got um, uh, our, we're being shut down. If you're not on board. We don't get to hear your voices. And we've actually been told, uh, I, re I received uh, information that um, uh, as, as if we want to be part of the curriculum process, because they've now reopened the, the middle school and the high school calls for people to go in and review, review curriculum. From what we've been told, if you participate in that process, by default, you are now required to champion it and to be in support of it. So the idea, again, what's happening is we're being told that the minute we're involved in the process, we are approving it and okay with it. And if we don't want to be part of the process, if we don't want to pilot it, we're not allowed to have comments on it. So uh, if those five school divisions like what they see, then it will be considered a success and uh, successfully piloted and therefore it's accepted by the province and by other district divisions. That's, and that's my understanding of it. And I'll add to that, Kelly, the, the, the five school boards I'm aware that will be piloting uh, represent, uh, as far as I know, less uh, than 4% of the students in Alberta. So that's, that's what our government is going to act upon, feedback from less than 4% of the learners in this province. So... Our next question comes from Mark Goodall. How can curriculum be implemented through all grades at the same time? Shouldn't it be implemented starting at K and streamed forward year to year? Or year after year, rather? That's a good question. And both are ways of doing it. Uh, implementing year by year and subject by subject is the history in Alberta and the tradition and uh, what that creates is it can be haphazard. Um, we were not involved, Kelly and I, in the decisions to develop everything. That was back in the, um, in the 2000s and the early 2010s. But what, we, what I understand is that the decision to do uh, K to four at once 
followed by five to eight at once, followed by nine to 12 at once, was to enable these cross-subject and cross-grade connections. And it was to get all the subjects and all the grades together in the same room for a very thorough process so that we could develop these connections among the various curricula. Um, that, that all aligned with the, the two documents that I showed with uh, the engaged learner and the competencies. And that, that comes back to what a concept-based curriculum is. So yes, I, I can understand, you know, um, uh, really wondering, well, how is this going to be done all at once? It, uh, it, it costs more and it will cost more at once for resources, but it enables that all those connections and those cross-curricular scope and sequence concepts. Kelly, more on that? But just my thought is at that point what happens is you see uh, any concerns, any uh, uh, mm-hmm. things that need to be addressed all at once as opposed to each year individually. And something that may be realized at grade four, if you have to go all the way back four years later to K to change, it, it starts to cause some of those problems. Um, there would have been growing pain. Um, I believe there would have been growing pains. I mean, anytime there's there's a new implementation like that, there's a lot of learning and a lot of hours uh, that uh, teachers and district uh, staff have to put in to make sure that uh, everything is in place uh, so that we have successful um, uh, schools, successful students. Um, but again, with the, the design of the curriculum that we were looking at uh, when, when Ken and I were working on it, uh, I think it's allowed for that to, to be implemented with um, as, with as little pain as, as any process would be. <laughs> Kelly, I should add uh, that uh, cross-curricular has been something that's been increasing for a long time to help kids make connections across subject areas for deeper understanding, deeper learning. And currently, and my whole career, it was a bit like a treasure hunt. I would have my music curriculum and I could send emails out or go digging through other people's massive 100-page curricula <laughs> trying to find that little gem where, you know, it, it would be authorized within each person's curriculum that maybe English and social could work on a cross-disciplinary uh, project. And, and this sort of ties into uh, anybody in post-secondary nowadays knows these multidisciplinary, cross-disciplinary degrees and research is becoming more and more valued. So I think it was the the school, uh, Alberta education responding to that, moving into the 21st century. Um, Our next question comes from uh, William Ratz. My question is, how does the UCP consider their party a representative of the people when they have not listened to any of the people's input as long as they have been in power? Hmm. Yeah, good question. <laughs> good, absolutely. I think I will ask the exact same question. Uh, and I, I, I would love somebody to answer me. That, that is why the word terrified comes up. It really is sheer terror. I, I get emotional about it. I, I am worried about students. I don't know what's going to happen if this curriculum becomes reality. And I'm no longer teaching, and my own children uh, do not live in this province. I do not have a personal vested interest in this, other than fear for coming generations. 
Yeah, um, I'm, I exactly. I, I would like to ask a question. Um, we often talk about privilege and um, certainly in a community that I represent, we often talk about privilege. And one of the ways that I often describe that is a horse with blinders on. And so mm -hmm. you just see this particular vision that your blinders, right? And this this blinders just, they, they, they gray out or darken out this whole other perspective, this other lens, right? So how in curriculum development can you actually include some of these voices that one particular lens, say a white lens or a male lens or a heterosexual lens may not actually encompass. How do you do that in curriculum development? Um, if I may, Ken, I'll start. Um, I think that is that is exactly uh, one of our concerns with what we're seeing in this draft curriculum. Uh, when we start looking at the content, uh, it's gone back to a very Eurocentric uh, dominant uh, viewpoint. Uh, a lot of the, uh, the knowledge that we have to know is pulling straight from uh, history of Western civilization through that. Um, so we've, we've gone back to a, 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 they've gone to a draft that, that silences voices, uh, that keeps the dominant uh, status quo um, and focuses only on that as representative. As I mentioned with, uh, with uh, the curriculum design, what's left out is as important. Uh, and what we uh, really focused on in developing our essential understandings, our questions, and our learning outcomes is that those questions could be understood by a student who lives in northern Alberta and can apply their own, whether it's indigenous, whether it's francophone, uh, whether it's male or female, their own perspective into that answer. Uh, and as, as the same as a, a student here in southern Alberta. Uh, and I think what we, we uh, are, are seeing now is that those voices are being silent. If anything, they're more of a footnote on the side. And uh, with, with that happening, we've gone back to a very white, very male, very Eurocentric, absolutely very privileged curriculum. So if you are part of that dominant group, you will see yourself represented in the curriculum. Otherwise, you won't. So our des the design, previous design, was really taking account from that. The essential questions, and the, or sorry, the essential understandings and the guiding questions in the curriculum that we were developing, working on, uh, they had no right answer. There was many answers, and that is our reality. And I mean, that is part of 21st century learning. There is no right or wrong answer. Yes, we can use a calculator and punch in the math, and, and that is a right answer, but that is not how life works. That is not how our world works. We have much bigger issues, much bigger questions, many different points of view that you know, it's the, the whole idea of three blind men being introduced to a, an elephant. They each touch a different part of the elephant and have a different understanding. Either one, one of them are wrong. And so our, the, the, the previous draft of the curriculum was applying that, in an, it was in the principles, the idea that we have this pluralistic society, this diverse society, and every single person needed to see themselves in that curriculum and be able to work with that curriculum in a meaningful way that made them feel part he is a citizen of Alberta, and that's missing. Thanks, Kelly, and and I would add, Annalise. Uh, I love uh, you know the metaphor of the horse blinders. 
because during the three years up there, I'm sure Kelly would agree, our own personal horse blinders were mercilessly ripped off <laughs> against, you know, I shouldn't say against our will, but, uh, you know, unexpectedly. It was uh, recurring, the, the number of perspectives and, and the opportunity to discuss and and engage and, and argue over things was extremely valuable. And I was sort of chuckling to myself because if uh, you know if anybody ever wanted a, a, a real thrill talking about curriculum nerds, um, you might want to you know join Kelly and I in the car for the five hour drive to Edmonton and the five hour back every every two months. And that's all we would talk about. Would and uh, and in retrospect, I I really value that that time to reflect. It was it was extra value for our experience. Absolutely. Okay. Um, we have uh, five more minutes, and we have four questions left in the queue. Okay. Um, Knut Peterson, any U of L educator, ed, education professor, professor, sorry, I'll start again. I messed that up. Any U of L education professor part of the present curriculum advisory group? Not the 12 appointed council, no. And I don't believe either from the 100 reviewers because I saw that list and I, I, I might be wrong, but I believe they were all school educators. Um, there are there are University of Lethbridge professors commenting on that analysis website. Dr. Robin Bright has been quite outspoken and eloquent, and uh, I know for a fact that there were uh, University of Lethbridge professors involved in the 2016 to 19 process that led to the 2018 draft. I hope that answers that. Okay. Um, Bart Phillips, can you comment? on the irony that the new draft curriculum stresses wrote memorization and historical data, which appears to be the exact opposite of what our children need in this age of technology. Yes, it's beyond ironic, it's tragic. And uh, to me, the irony beyond that is the amount of which it is plagiarized. We didn't mention that. <laughs> it Much of it is torn wow. from uh, Virginia curriculum and other U.S. sources, uh, curriculums that have been shown by broader research to have failed in the larger sense. So that's the irony, is much of what they're promoting is stolen, and yet uh, we can give a student a zero for plagiarizing. Uh, lots of teachers have said our government deserves a zero for plagiarizing. Kelly? Yeah, no, I absolutely. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, in my opinion, it feels like there was uh, uneducated people involved in making these choices who did not understand curriculum development, plain and simple. Our next question comes from Knut Peterson. Are private and chartered schools playing a part in this issue and will any of them be testing the new curriculum? I don't know if they'll be testing. I, I, you know, to the extent that they are influencing, um, some people really think the ultimate goal <clears throat> is to deconstruct public and separate education in Alberta, bring the system to its knees and basically have a two-tiered education system where the wealthy have a good education 
and the unwealthy uh, get an inferior education and um, are uh, obedient workers, ignorant, obedient workers. Yeah. And again, what's not written is as important as what is written. So the whole idea that one of the first things that happened uh, is that uh, the the word public was taken out of uh, uh, the Alberta education. It is no longer Alberta public education. It is Alberta education. And I think that that's, uh, I think that's speaking volumes. Hmm. It's such a simple word, eh? Yes, it is. <laughs> With so much meaning. Um, our last question comes from Belinda Croson. How important is Mark Kenny in the history of Alberta music? I can speak <laughs> to that. I actually uh, played uh, a gig with Mark Kenny at uh, Waterton um, at the Prince of Wales Hotel many years ago. At the end of his career, he was a real gentleman. Uh, in the band, uh, to be honest, we were all terrified he might pass at the moment playing his instrument. He was very old, um, but he, he took his clarinet out and played a couple of his tunes for us. And then I remember some of the older members in the band talking about the old days. Mark Kenny was the uh, Lawrence Welk of his day in Canada, or the Guy Lombardo, a great businessman, but his music was popular stream. It is not considered jazz so I don't want to diss Mark Kenny. Um, he has a place in Alberta music history, but being included as one of the two main influences in jazz, uh, avoiding or ignoring people like Tommy Banks or Oscar Peterson, or the list goes on of Canadian musicians, particularly uh, African-Canadian or African-American musicians to whom we owe, the uh, origins of jazz is is the crime. Um, if Mark Kenny uh, has a place in, in a curriculum, it is uh, a unique, at, at the earliest, a high school uh, pop music history course, not even jazz, and more properly, a footnote in a university course. Why Jason Kenny's grandfather is in the curriculum is beyond me. And um uh, belinda might want to go check out the lyrics to that calgary song that is referred to in the grade six music curriculum it's absolutely inappropriate uh, to, to study those lyrics with grade six students in my opinion <laughs> okay um lots of lots of thank yous in the queue from Beth Mandel, bart phillips william rats thank you ken and kelly for all your knowledge and insight insights into this scam of a curriculum presentation by the UCP party of plagiarism and entitlement. Um, just the list goes on of thank yous. Um, before we wrap up today's session, could you give us a take home message, please, for our viewers? We are not out of the woods anywhere near with this, from what I can see. Uh, this curriculum could very very realistically become a fact and it needs to be fought tooth and nail at every level so please everyone uh, write the minister write your MLA uh, CC the uh, uh, education opposition critic and CC any media you know so that it is recorded that your thoughts have been stated thank you yeah, uh, teachers' voices, uh, the Alberta Teachers Association voice, Association's voices uh, are really being ignored or silenced uh, in this process. So 
Um, it really is now coming down to the need for parents, community members, anybody who has a vested interest in uh, the future of our children to start stepping forward. To, sorry, not to start, to step forward more. There is a lot of, of, of public outcry, and I think that we need more, and it needs to increase, especially over these next two years. Excellent. Well, on behalf of SACPA and clearly all, also all our viewers, thank you so much for your time today um, and for your excellent presentation. Um, before we wrap up, I just like to remind everybody that this was our last session. We will finish off on Tuesday, June 29th with our annual general meeting that starts at 10 a.m. Um, and um, for all of you who won't be joining in, we will see you back again in September. Thank you, and um, thank you both again. Thank you. Thank you.